Well, this morning, we're jumping back into a sermon series that we started almost two years ago uh, out of the book in the Bible known as Ephesians. Ephesians is a book in the Bible. It's a short book. It's a six-chapter book found toward the end of your Bible. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus, and he's writing to the Ephesian church, instructing them on Christian living, inspired by God, uh, good for us. I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a treasure in this treasure chest Bible for sure. Several have gone before us and have commented on the power of this book. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the revivalist and former preacher, said, it's very difficult to speak of Ephesians in a controlled manner because of its greatness and because of its sublimity. Many have tried to describe it. One writer has described it as the crown and climax of Pauline theology. Another has said that it is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. Hopefully I said that right, right? What language, he says, and it is by no means exaggerated, right? He's saying that this book right here really gets to the heart and depth of the gospel and it's good for us to dig into it today. St. Jerome, the translator of the Bible, who translated it from its original language into the original Latin, which we know as the Vulgate Bible, says it like this. If we can pull it up from Jerome, he says, Ephesians is like the heart in the midst of the body. What he's talking about there, he's saying that th this book uh, is, is, is the heart, right? That everything's flowing from it. And it'd be wise of us to, to lean into it today. One more quote. We'll quote from John MacArthur. A present-day theologian says, you want to get to the book of Ephesians and get it down good. He says, it'll absolutely revolutionize your life. It will teach you who you are, how rich you are, and how you are to use those riches for God's glory. What's MacArthur saying there? He's saying that it'd be wise of us, it'd be good of us, right, to get in this book and be able to understand how good God's been to us. He even says how rich you are. What does that mean? Well, the book of Ephesians in chapters 1 through 4 and a half, that's where we're picking it up today, really comments on all the things that God has done in us and for us. So, for example, in chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about how he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing under heaven. He says that he's chosen us. He's called us. He's adopted us, he's forgiven us, he's redeemed us, he's sealed us with his promised Holy Spirit, he's seated us in a place with him, and all these things he's done for us. I was telling our team before we kicked off church this morning, I asked them, how's everybody doing? And I said, before you even answer, you can't say anything but good, because if you're in Christ, you're all those things. We need to be reminded of our riches, amen, of how much God has done in our place for us that today, whether we realize it or not, we are rich with Christ, that he's given us everything we need and more. That's why we're covered in grace. And so we pick it up here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. The first half of Ephesians is largely about orthodoxy. It's a big word to say, understanding the doctrines of God, understanding the words of God. This last part of Ephesians is more so talking about orthopraxy. How do we practice what we just learned? 
Now we've downloaded in our hearts who we are. Now how do we live it out? And we see this come alive in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll pick it up today in verses 17 through 24. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Come on, if you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Let's eat. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It says they have become callous, the scripture says, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. I think Paul probably wrote it differently. He probably said, that's not the way y'all learn Christ. See it? Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God, I ask you to speak to us this morning. One more time, God. We pray for a, a move of your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see. Come on, everybody, turn your ears on. Just turn them on. Give us ears to hear. Give us a soft heart to listen. Help us to know you better. In Jesus' name, we want to know you, Lord. Amen. Amen. As I was thinking about how to, how to title this second half of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, these two words spoke to me, on, off, on, off. See, what the Apostle Paul is trying to download into the Ephesians is this reality that we're called to put on Christ, and when we do that, we put off things of this world. So the title of these next few weeks as we study through Ephesians 4 is simply going to be on, off. And here's what I want you to be asking yourself as we journey through these verses. What's God calling me to put on? What's God calling me to put off? Spiritually, what is God clothing me in? And, and spiritually, what's he telling me to put off? And maybe we would learn how to walk better, walk lighter, walk fresher, walk freer, if we can put off the old self and put on the new self. See, when we put on Christ, we, begin, we get a new identity. We get the identity of Christ. And a new identity means we have a new responsibility, right? If we put on Christ, then we're called to walk like Christ, amen? When we put on Christ, we have the outfit of Christ. We have the salvation of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. We have the responsibility to be like Christ, to have Christ live in and through us. Think about it like this. How weird would this be? Not only weird, how frustrating would it be? If you're walking down the street, you see two men over here, in their police officer uniform from head to toe, they have their police officer outfit on, the whole get up, right? And you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you see somebody run by and steal a lady's purse and he keeps on running. Then you see a car crash, but the car, the car that hit the person kept, keeps on driving and you run over to the police officers, officers, hey, did you just see what just happened? That lady got her purse stolen. What are you going to do about it? And let's just say they go, I'm not a police officer. I can't help you. Why are you asking me? Because you're clothed like it. Because you have the outfit on, and since you have the identity on, we give you the responsibility too. How weird would it be if that person were to do that? What's my point? We're clothed with Christ. We should have people coming to us saying, how do I get free? 
How do I get healed? How can I be forgiven? How can I get saved? You got Christ on you. You're covered and clothed in him. Right? Again, think about it like this. Let's say those police officers were to actually be who they are dressed like and were to say, you know what? I'm going to do a a vocational change. I'm going to change my my job. They said, I'm going to become a firefighter. And they go through all the testing and they do all the different detail work and all that. And they get hired as a firefighter. And let's say they show up that first day and they still have their police officer uniform on. And everybody else in the fire station has got their whole fire get up on. They're going to be looking at them like, you got the wrong outfit on. You got to put that off. You got to put on your new identity. You have a new calling. You have a new job. You have a new purpose. The Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesian church, as well as Walk Church, if you're in Christ, you have put off the old self, and you've put on Christ. Now, we're going to talk about what that looks like practically through these verses along these next couple weeks. Come on, one more time. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. eat. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says it like this. It says, now this I say... And I testify in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, here's what this means. It's the Apostle Paul saying this. I'm about to say something in this letter to the church and to us. And he's saying, I want you guys to know that I'm not just sharing my opinion. I want you to know that I'm not just giving you my insight. Some people say, man, the Bible is written by man. True, but it's inspired by God. Which is why the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm not just giving you my opinion. I'm testifying from the Lord. This is actually what you're about to hear, a testimony from God. One of the reasons why I sometimes struggle with Bibles that have Jesus' words in red, not that I'm against that, that's okay if you have, I have Bibles like that as well, uh, but I think there's a temptation to think that those words are more important than these words. If that's the case, all the words should be read, because this is a word from Christ too. Paul's saying, look, this isn't just my thoughts, this isn't just my insight. If that's the case, crumble it up and throw it away. This is a testimony from God. It's good for us to hear it today. Amen? Here's what he says. Here's this testify. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. What he's saying there is, I want you to throw off your old self. I want you to throw off the testimony and identity of your old self when you were a Gentile. What's a Gentile? A Gentile is a non-Jew, a non-Christian. Somebody that doesn't identify with the God of the Bible. A Gentile is somebody who says, you know what? I'm not down with all the Christian stuff that you're kicking here at Walk Church. I'm going to go my own direction. They would be considered a Gentile. A Gentile is somebody who's, who's apart from God, who's distant from Christ. And he's saying this, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I love the word walk, amen? Anytime I find the word walk in the Bible, I'm like zeroing in on it. And this right here says... That we're called to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, how do the Gentiles walk? Here's how they walk. They walk in the futility of their minds. The futility of their minds. Now, most of you are smarter than me. I'm just going to go ahead and claim that. What happens for me often, I say this probably every week, is i got to look up words. The word futility uh, is, is the word futile or futile. Right? And I said, you know what? I need to go ahead and understand what this is talking about so I can throw that off. And so here's the definitions that I found for the word futile. It's an adjective. The definition that I found, the first one from Webster says, serving no useful purpose. Completely ineffective. 
Here's the synonyms that I found in the different dictionaries that I looked up. Useless, fruitless, pointless, not successful. Paul's saying this. The first thing that we need to throw off is we need to throw off a futile mind. A mind that is futility. A mind that is futile. In other words, a mind that is pointless. A mind that isn't bearing any fruit. It's fruitless. A mind that really doesn't have any purpose to it. It's actually completely ineffective. That our thinking really is powerful because our thinking drives our doing. Paul says, look, the Gentiles walk in futility because they think in futility. Maybe you know somebody like this, or maybe you feel this way. You feel like in your life you constantly are like this. I just keep going around in circles. I feel like I'm making progress, but I just end back right in the same place. I feel like I can't figure out my purpose. I feel confused about my life. I feel like I'm not really making a difference. I feel like I don't have understanding of where I'm going and why I'm here. Here's, here's, let me go ahead and set you free. It's because your thinking is futile. Your thinking is fruitless, useless, pointless. Therefore, you're not successful. And, and Paul's saying this. He's saying you've got to change your thinking. That you've got to put off this old mindset and renew your mind with the new stuff, with the good stuff. You put on Christ, therefore you should have the mind of Christ. In the book of Proverbs, we see the author of Proverbs write about it like this. Proverbs 23, verse 7, in the New King James Version, he says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as the King James says, as he thinketh in his hearteth, so is he. Right? As, as you think about it, it's who you become. What type of mind do you have today? Is your thinking futile or is your thinking free? Is your thinking of the Lord? Is your thinking informed by God or is it informed by this world? It's a question that we need to wrestle with that we see here in the text. Another scripture, right? He says, as a man thinks in his heart. Did you know your heart can think? So maybe you just thought your heart beats. But your heart is actually connected to the brain. And there's brain waves that are shooting to the heart, and heart waves are shooting back to the brain, right? And, and there's this constant communion and communication that's happening all day long between the heart and the mind. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Have we got any athletes in the room? Right? Any athletes in the room? Did you ever have to play defense? When you play defense, you got to guard somebody, right? you got to not let them get the ball, right? Paul's saying, hey, you got to play defense on your heart. You got to guard your heart. I'm going to clap with my brother. I'm with you because I do, I do. I have to protect my heart. I have to guard my heart from letting anything just wander in. And I got to make sure that my heart's not idle and my heart's not futile, pointless, useless, not focused on anything at all, just kind of going with the wind. For 18, 19 years of my life, my, my thinking was futile. I walked as a Gentile and my thinking was futile. I thought, okay, my life is created for basketball. That's it. I can't think beyond it. Well, what's going to happen if that doesn't work out, Hayden? I don't know. I got nothing. I must be created for that. That's wrong. Some of you had that mindset. I, I, if, what happens if this relationship doesn't work? That's a futile thinking. 
What happens if we don't end up having a baby? That's futile thinking, right? What happens if this doesn't work out the right way? That's futile thinking. Start thinking beyond that. Start trusting God and his process and his purpose and his will. His purpose for your life is bigger and better than even your futile thinking that it has to be this way. God's saying, no, it's my way, and my ways are better than your ways. Trust my mind. Trust my heart. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So if your heart is futile, right, pointless, idle, nothing, your life's going to be representing that, right? We see also in the scripture in the NLT version of Ephesians 4 verse 17, I thought this was really interesting. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. God's saying, hey, if you feel really confused in life today, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, look up. Look up to God and say, God, I'm so confused. In 1 Corinthians 14, God says, I'm not the author of confusion. I'm the author of peace. Oftentimes, I'm faced with some type of decision to make. All of us at some point need to make decisions. Some are bigger than others. All throughout the day, some of you made a decision to go to church. Sometimes we're faced with tougher decisions than others. And here's what I would set you free with today. I would give you this encouragement. When you're up to make a big decision, ask yourself this. Which one, which one am I made more confused about? Which one do I feel more peace about? Go with the peace. Trust the peace. If you're more confused about a situation and why you're confused about it, just know that, hey, well, God's not the author of that confusion. He's the author of that peace. Go ahead and press into him until you feel peace about a situation and then follow that peace. You might not understand why you feel peace about it, but God's not asking you to understand. He's asking you to trust. Amen? Like, think about it, right? Maybe Jericho, right? You remember these walls? Joshua, I want you to walk around the walls seven times. And then after the seventh, just blow these trumpets and trust me. I'm sure Joshua was like, that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. I feel peace about trusting God. I wonder if Moses got to the sea and was like, what now, God? And God said, open up the sea. Just trust me. Right? We're not called to necessarily understand it all. We're just called to trust him and walk in that peace. Start telling your mind because your mind will start playing tricks on you. Our hearts are sick and deceitful. Your heart might, start playing, your heart might say, you don't trust God. Don't give in. Don't follow the Lord. Speak back to your own mind and say, no, God's calling me to trust him. I don't want to be like the Gentile. I got to put that off so I can put on Christ. Does that, does that make sense? Don't be futile in your thinking. Your mind is powerful. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says it like this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now, I should have highlighted the word if because that word if is important. Maybe you're in that if moment right now. Maybe you know spiritually you're laying in the grave. You haven't given God your yes yet. I'd encourage you today, don't be futile in your thinking. Give him your yes. If you've been raised with Christ, that means God, he rose you up. Start seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I think too often... We're setting our minds on things that are on earth. I read an article on socialmediatoday.com. The average teenager 
spends up to nine hours a day on social networks. That's a full-time job. Scrolling. Scrolling. That's how you get this futile mind that ends up distracting us. That's focusing and setting our minds on the things of earth, not on the things that are above. Notice Paul says it's an action. He says, set your mind. So what, what that means is this. You've got to take your mind and set it on something good. Like, mind, you're distracted. One translation says, take every thought captive, right? It's a military word. Take your thoughts captive and say, no, think this way. Think rightly today. Think healthy today. Think godly today. Amen? Don't have a futile way of thinking. Have a biblical way of thinking. This isn't me today trying to say, you know what? Let me just go ahead and thump you with this Bible. I just want to encourage you, if you don't get in this word, you're going to put on what the Gentile put on. And you're going to think like a Gentile does. And you're going to have a futile life that ends up going in circles. If you get in this book, God will speak to you in such a way that he'll give you revelation for your life. Turn your life around and give you the wisdom that you need for your daily living. That's what I would, I would entrust you with today. John Bunyan is a, uh, a powerful author who wrote this little book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan put it like this. He said, an idle man's brain is the devil's workshop. I think we should, we should fix and set our minds on the right things so that the devil doesn't get his arrows out and aim them at your brain. If your mind isn't focused, if your heart isn't guarded, the devil is going to play with you. He is. And the more you level up in your faith, new levels, new devils coming right for you. Say, okay, you want to grow in your faith? You better lock in. This little F word called focus. Focus. I want to encourage you today, Christian, brother, sister, or if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to get to know him so you're not trapped in futility, but you're walking in victory, right? To, to focus. This is a good word for entrepreneurs and businessmen and women in the room, too. I once heard of a story of a banquet that consisted of the 100 most wealthy people in America. And, and everybody in that, in that room had to, on, on, on a piece of paper, send in the one word that helped them in their success. And everybody put in this paper and wrote their one word on the paper. It was ironic that the two most wealthy people in the room, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, had the same word. They were the only people that had the same word. They opened up their letter. They both had this word, focus. What was their key to success? What was their recipe? You know what it was? Focus. I can't let my mind wander. I can't give the devil a workshop to play around in my thinking. I got to lock in, amen? So that's what I would encourage you to do. Let's put off the futile mind and put on a focused mind. And focusing in on the right things why am I at church? Because I need to be focused on God. Why do I need to go to a group? Because I need to be focused on God. Why do I need to read the Proverbs every day? Because I need to be focused on wisdom from God. Why do I need to get around faith and, and, and trust the Lord? Because I need to be focused, amen. I want to be used at the highest level. I don't want a futile thinking. I want to focus on him. Amen. Does that make sense? All right, all right. That was just a half of a verse. I got to keep going. There's more to go here, right? The next thing we see here in verse 18, he says, now I say this, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. 
He says that we got to throw off this darkened understanding. That, that oftentimes, if we're not focused and we're not in Christ, our thinking becomes dark. That we become darkened in our understanding. That word understanding is a powerful word. Not enough of us have biblical understanding. Here's what I mean by that. Too often, we listen to respond instead of listen to understand. Can I get an amen from somebody? You ever met somebody? They're like, hey, how was your day? But they're really not listening. They just want to share with you how their day was. You're like sharing, and they're just like waiting to jump in. Let me get my moment to just cut you off so you can tell their, their, their day, right? We're not listening to be understanding. We're darkened in our understanding apart from Christ. Have you ever met somebody that's like, yo, I don't want to hear about that Jesus stuff, man. I don't want to hear about your church. I don't want to hear about your walk with Christ. I don't want to hear about how you're growing with Christ. What that looks like is, is a Gentile perspective that's darkened in understanding. And here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to light you up. He wants to enlighten your understanding. Christ says it like this. He goes, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, he says, if you trust me, you're the light of the world. So all of a sudden, Jesus wants to light it up. Did you know that? And how is he going to light it up? Through you. Through me. But the, the room won't get any lighter if your thinking doesn't get brighter. If your understanding remains darkened. The Bible speaks about this concept of understanding and how important it is, especially throughout the book of Proverbs. I want to just pull up a few on the screen. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 says that the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That from God's mouth, he pours out understanding. Maybe today you say, man, I don't understand God. I don't understand the word of God. I, 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 I need it. You've got to listen to him. I think carving out unrushed time in your daily rhythm of life to just sit with God would do wonders. If you try to do it, the enemy will try to do everything to stop it because the power is in his presence. But if you can just get alone, you and a book, this one, the Bible, and you open it up and you read it, God will speak to you, and he'll give you understanding. I promise you. You know why I can promise you? Because he said it. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everybody say all. All, all means all, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. I usually fail. My testimony. I usually fail when I start to lean on my understanding. But when I lean on his understanding, success happens. Blessing happens. I don't always understand his understanding, but I'm not called to lean on my understanding. I'm called to trust him with all my heart. Remember your heart. You got to guard it. Here's a way to guard it. Give it to Christ. Like we just saying, Lord, I give you my heart. Just give your heart away. Go ahead and grab your heart. Sometime today, grab your heart, sign it. Say, God, I'm signing it away. Take my heart. Make it yours. Make it clean. Take up residence in my heart. Now, it's dangerous if you do that, church. If you give Christ residence in your heart, he'll start evicting stuff out of there. He'll start moving stuff that doesn't need to be in there. 
They'd be like, you got to go. You in this futility, got to go. You in this addiction, got to go. And Christ is saying, I'm making you better. I can't let you be darkened in your understanding anymore. There's too much I want to do in you and through you. Jesus isn't into renting or leasing. He's into owning. He wants to own. He's coming for ownership. Come on, Walk Church. You got to let him in. Let him in. But if you're darkened in your understanding, what will happen is you'll miss him. And you'll be 50, 60 years old thinking, what, what did I even do with my life? How did I miss it? I missed it. Here's why. Because you were futile in your thinking, darkened in your understanding, and you missed it. Proverbs 3.13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. God says, it's, it's the blessed life to walk in understanding. I would encourage you, maybe you would meet somebody today. There's been men and women in my life who have helped me understand just through listening. One of the best ones is my wife. When I stop, when I stop listening just to respond and start listening to understand, I grow. Maybe today after church, you might meet somebody, somebody new, and shake their hand, ask them an engaging question, and listen just to understand. Think about it like this. Think about it like this. In this room right now are all types of different ages, right, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses, different jobs, different genders different races, all types of differences in this room. What if we sought to understand each other and got to know each other instead of just remain dark? I bet you there's stories in this room that are just fascinating. I think it'd be wise of us to get to know them. I would, let's keep on reading. I just want to stay in this understanding piece, but come on, let's keep on digging in. He says it like this, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The word alienated here, uh, synonyms for the word alienated is isolated or estranged, separated, set apart. See, all of us before we got to know Christ, we're all in a spiritual orphanage. Did you know that? Right? We're all in the orphanage waiting for somebody to adopt us. But when Christ steps in, he adopts us into his family. And so what Paul's saying here is, put off your alienation, put on your new identity. If you live at this address, Christ, go home, right? And one day we'll go home, home, but in the meantime, get to know Jesus. Don't live distant from God where the only day you get to know God is on Sunday, I mean, for me, right, as a married man, I wonder if the only time I spent time with my wife was for an hour on Sunday. What type of relationship would that be? <laughs> Bad. <laughs> that sounded like her voice right there. <laughs> Bad, right? <laughs> Some of y'all got a bad relationship with God. You do. You know why? Because this is the only time you give them. So you're alienated. What really makes you different than a Gentile? The difference is one spends time with their father, the other one doesn't. One says, I'm at home with Christ. The other one says, I'm alienated from the life of God. God wants to give you life. He has life for you. Like real L-I-F-E, life for you. 
Or you can be alienated and try to do this in your own way. It's very futile, pointless, useless, fruitless, not successful. And the reason why is because we're ignorant. Apart from Christ, we're ignorant. The word ignorant just means unaware. But the reason why many are unaware is, one, because maybe they never heard the gospel, which is our job, to share our faith, to invite people to faith. But also because some people are just hard at heart. So some people are ignorant really because they have a hard heart. And a hard heart won't get you closer to God. It'll get you farther away from the heart of God. I believe that God wants us to have a soft heart. Let me ask you this. If you have a foam cup in this hand and a coffee mug at this hand and you drop them both, which one's breaking? Probably the one that's harder, right? The mug. And I think a lot of people walk around with broken hearts because their hearts are so hard. They're easy to break because they're hard. They shatter easy. God calls us to have a soft heart, a moldable heart, a heart that he can touch and impact and imprint on. God says, hey, I want to be the, the potter of your life. Let me take your heart and mold it. Friend today, maybe you got a hard heart in here. Soften your heart. Your prayer could look like this. God, soften my heart. Take my heart. Mold my heart. You mold it into whatever you want it to be, and I'll walk in it. Because our heart determines our life. But if you have a hard heart, you're going to be ignorant. You're going to get alienated from the life of God. You're going to get darkened in your understanding. Your thinking is going to be futile, and you're going to walk the wrong way. It's a trickle-down effect. I think it starts with a soft heart. A heart that says, Lord, speak. A heart that says, Lord, use me. A heart that says, Lord, I'm open to you and you alone. If you go after the heart of God, you'll, you'll get him and he'll move in your life. Let me go ahead and introduce us to the last verses of this text, verses 19 and 20. It says, they have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He highlights this word callous. This word callous just means stubborn, hard, disregarding. To be callous to something means that you turned your back to it. Saying that the Gentiles turn their back to Christ. We don't want them. Make sure that we're throwing off a callous shirt. Right? Think about all these things we got to throw off. Like, don't wear a, a hat that says futile and a jacket that says callous, right? And a shirt that says darkened. Take those things off. Put on Christ. Off on. That's how we're called to live. Callous means to disregard Christ. Having given themselves up to sensuality. The first definition for sensuality I found. The enjoyment especially of physical and sexual pleasure. Basically what he's saying is on sensuality is they've given themselves up to sexual misconduct and in, and in doing so their hearts have been hardened, their minds have been darkened, right? So we're called to put off sensuality and put on purity. And Matthew 5 says those who have a pure heart will see God move in their life. I want to see God move. Well, I got to put something off so I can see him clearly. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The, the first definition for greedy is the word selfish. Put off selfishness. Put on generosity. You see it? 
put, put off the practice of impurity and put on purity. The definition that I found for the word impurity, I thought it was funny. It just said not pure. And then I saw a little comma. The next word for impurity, contaminated. How many of us are contaminated with the world? Now, I, I know we're called to live in the world. Totally. We're called to rub shoulders in the world. We should be around people that don't know God. We live in a city that 90% of the people in the city don't know God. We should be around people, inviting people, loving on people. But let me ask you this. Are you affecting those people more than they're affecting you? Jesus would recline with sinners, but everybody in the house would leave differently when they left. I think sometimes when I'm in the wrong place, I leave differently when I leave. I want to make sure that I'm affecting, not being affected. I want to make sure that, if anything, I'm contaminating, not being the one contaminated. It says it like this, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Paul is saying, this is how you learned Christ. You denied yourself. You said, I can't earn it. All I can do is trust him and receive him, and I'm going to give my life to him. And I'm going to go ahead and walk in Christ every step of the way, trusting that his plan is better than my own. I read a story about a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, who is the great philosopher, author of the Chronicle of Narnia's books alongside J.R.R. Tolkien, right, who he was led to Christ through this brother. Now, for the majority of Lewis's life, he was a profound atheist. He was a writer, scholar, and a brilliant thinker. And he had this moment where he said, you know what? I'm going to set out to write about debunking the Bible. I'm going to disprove that this whole book is false. And so C.S. Lewis got himself a Bible and said, you know what? I'm going to find out all the contradictions. I'm going to expose it. I'll be the one. What happened is he exposed himself. This book's like a lion, right? Just, it doesn't need anybody to defend it. <laughs> It'll defend itself. This book is supernatural, alive and active. And C.S. Lewis, in one of his memoirs, ended up writing this. I want to share it with you today. Lewis says, this is what happened to him. He says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared at last come upon me. He says, in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in. I admitted that God was God. And I knelt down and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He says, I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. C.S. Lewis is telling us in his testimony, he goes, man, I was once alienated from God. I was once darkened in my understanding. I was once futile in my mind, consumed by my work. I was once callous toward God. The thing that he feared the most, he finally had this moment where he, in quote, gave in and said, God is God. And he would go on to be one of the most profound Christian authors with the rest of his life, writing books and novels and stories, mere Christianity, which has been a game changer of a book. 
And we see here in Lewis's life that sometimes you got to come to that realization. Say Jesus wins. Y'all do know it's a fixed fight, right? Like you could read the rest of the book. You could see how it all ends. He wins. It'd be wise of us to join the winning team. This is already wrapped up. So don't be futile in your thinking. Don't be ignorant in your thinking. Get wise in your thinking and get to know the Savior. I'll share this in closing. Last night, my wife and I watched a movie. It was a, I wouldn't even know that this was going to be a part of the sermon, but it was literally the story was telling this scripture. Um, it's a movie called The Case for Christ. It's on Netflix. I would encourage you, if you've got Netflix, uh, to just go ahead and watch this movie today or sometime this week. It was very well done, very profound. And it's documenting this journalist's life, very much like C.S. Lewis. He actually quotes from Lewis. And it's a man by the name of Lee Strobel, whose wife gets to know Jesus along her journey. And he sets out to try to disprove it. And I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. you got to watch it for yourself. But the words that he uses are similar to the scripture. I was ignorant. I didn't want to see it. I chose not to believe it. I chose to harden my heart rather than trust what he's, he's saying. The facts are in the word. I would encourage you, if you're in a similar place, that you would take time today to get to know God. Rick Warren says that we're made for it. We're made for God. And that until we understand that, life will never make sense. Hear me, church, in a closing word. Until you get to know Christ, until you put off the old self and put on the new self, life will never make sense. But when you do, when you do, you'll get it. Amen? You'll get it.